Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our podcast series for Doctors Who Create. I'm Shiv, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter, who is a physician, philanthropist, activist, and filmmaker based in the Bay Area. She's the founder of the Endwell Foundation, which is a nonprofit focusing in issues of end of life care and palliative care. So, thanks so much for joining me today, Dr. Ungerleiter. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Uh, so, I wanted to start first uh, talking about your physician side. So what got you interested in working in end-of-life care and raising awareness for that cause? Was there um, any one specific case during your training or what was it? Yeah, so you know, it was interesting in that I thought I wanted to be a cardiologist. So when I, when I started mm-hmm. residency, I trained in internal medicine. And okay. during one of my first months, actually, in my intern year, my first year, I, I, spent, I spent it in the ICU. And uh, in taking care of patients in that setting, I found myself often caring for folks who were of older age. They had multiple chronic medical problems, and then on top of that, they were suffering from you know, end-stage heart disease or liver failure right. or widely metastatic cancer, and they were ending up in the ICU getting very aggressive invasive care. Mm. And I realized that many of them didn't really have an understanding of what was going on. They, they maybe didn't know their prognosis overall, um, what we were doing, what our plans were in terms of care and their overall trajectory. And many of them were, were really suffering and, and often in their last moments of life. Mm. You know, I, I think yeah. that they didn't always have an understanding that they were actually, you know, dying. Uh, nor did their families. And so it really didn't sit well with me. I I quickly realized that that's the default thing that we do in this country. You know, Mm -hmm. unless you, unless you aggressively opt out, you will get on this, what my friend Jessica Zitter calls this conveyor belt of care. It's really hard to stop that train if, if it's not something that you want. And, um, so I went along my, my training and had some amazing mentorship in the field of palliative care. So palliative mm-hmm. care is a, is a team-based specialty in medicine that focuses on quality of life for patients and their families who are often facing life-limiting illness. And it can be used at any time during the course of illness, so mm-hmm. not just the end of life. I think that's really important to point out. Palliative care ideally should be uh, engaged months, years, you know, before before yeah, the end, right. um, different than than hospice or different than what we would consider, you know, more end of life focused uh-huh. care. And so I got really interested in in that field um, during my training. And then when I finished residency, I thought, Gosh, I'm going to have all this free time on my hands. What what do I want to do with myself? So help to with leveraging philanthropy to to start a palliative care education training program. Okay. The residents where I trained, because I think that all doctors, no matter what field of, of medicine you go into, and really all nurses and other healthcare professionals as well, should should know how to talk to patients and have conversations about what matters most to them, what's going on with them in terms of their prognosis, and talk about goals of care. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll end by saying that uh, an article came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2016 a survey showing that uh, 70% of physicians surveyed so they had not been trained in how to have difficult conversations with patients. So it's that's staggering. That's a big, yeah, that's a staggering find. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so based on what you say, I, I know there's a stigma associated with even the words end-of-life care or palliative care, and even though they're different, they often get muddled. And I feel like when patients hear these words, they feel like doctors are maybe giving up on them or there are no other options left when it, when it really seems like the sole job of something like palliative care is to open up the options and allow the person to live in the way that is most important to them. So how do you think... Uh, we change this perception or how have you tried to change that view in patients that you've cared for over the years? Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think that's exactly, you know, one of the major issues that we are up against. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I think that uh, it can be really challenging when people have a misperception about what palliative care is, um, what hospice is, what, you know, the role of, right. a, of a care professional, you know, in, in the healthcare space is. I think, you know, for me, it's, it's all about sitting down with patients and families and meeting them where they are in terms of their understanding mm-hmm. of, of illness and together coming up with a plan that makes sense for them, knowing full well that it, that can take, you know, hours and hours, that can take days, that can take weeks uh, in order to kind of discuss, uh, really get to know somebody uh, and understand yeah. them, their their illness in the context of their lives. And I'm, I'm only, as a hospitalist, you know, seeing them for a very short snapshot of, of time um, right. and space right. in their lives. And so I think the, the more that those on the front lines of healthcare, uh, whether it's, mm-hmm. it's primary care or other specialty care, people who know their patients over years and years and years should be engaging in these kinds of conversations about right. advanced care planning, about goals and values, um, so that when they get to the hospital or if they get to the hospital, it's not a shock to them that uh, that maybe they're... To face death for the first time or... Well, or, or to face an understanding of, of a difficult prognosis. So then, uh, like, it led you to start Endwell? So I want to ask, um, what's uh, what's been kind of the most rewarding part of seeing this organization fully form and function? Well, you know, Endwell didn't start until pretty recently. So so I, oh, okay. I focused a lot on um, palliative care education and uh, in, in, in medical education reform, mm-hmm. and uh, continue to do that. And I, you know, I, I think it's. Um, really, really important that, that medical schools, that residency training programs, that, you know, health systems institutions take on this issue, you know, as a, as a core, um, a core competency in, in how we train all healthcare providers. Right. And, you know, I realized that trying to change healthcare and trying to change medical education in my lifetime is going to, you know, is worthy, yeah. is a worthy, is a worthy challenge right, and right, a worthy yeah. cause. But, um, I actually, you know, have, have since realized that, uh, that patient engagement, meaning, you know, consumers out there, whether you're yeah. a family member, whether you're a caregiver, whether you're a, you're a patient yourself or will be at one time, mm-hmm. that, that empowerment and education, uh, is From really, both sides, kind of. Well, you know, I, I actually think that the biggest shift in healthcare in our uh-huh. current healthcare system is going to come from consumer demand, meaning oh, okay, that, okay. That, that patients and caregivers really are going to say, you know, enough is enough. We want to mm. be having these open, honest conversations. We have yeah. an understanding of what, of what palliative care is, what, what we want, what we don't want. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, actually it was through film that I got interested in, in sort of the, the public education component and through extremists that, uh, mm-hmm. I, I realized that can be a really powerful way of 
of making change and, and really thinking about this as a social movement. So I'm happy to happy to yeah. dive in and talk a little bit more about how that happened. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's actually where I was going next, and kind of a- gonna ask uh, when when did you kind of pivot and realize that filmmaking was the storytelling medium through which you wanted to share these stories and start discussions um, about this topic? Well, it it wasn't actually all that intentional. This this okay. premise as a project really fell in my lap, and I you know I'll say that. Dan Krause, the amazing uh, director who, who did Extremis, mm-hmm. and Jessica Zitter, who really uh, was the one who came up with the idea of, of filming end-of-life uh, conversations and issues in an ICU setting. She's an ICU physician and palliative care doctor in, right. in Oakland, California. And she brought a, a, the film crew in and said, hey, is there something here? Is there a story that uh, should be told, and they spent months filming in the ICU at Highland Hospital wow. and captured this amazing, uh, well, amazing patient stories and and also those of the healthcare professionals in the ICU. And I actually came in very late in the game. I, I connected with Dan, the director, after he'd been you know already six months filming, I think, on and off in the ICU, and, oh, and he sent me. Yeah, he said this is their idea. He they, they yeah. sent me a. Um, a rough cut of the film and I said, Oh my gosh, this is just incredible what you've yeah. captured. And I've often felt that if you could, you know, look behind the curtains or right, peer right, into exactly. what, what it's like to be sick in an ICU setting, mm-hmm, that's yeah. the understanding of what, what's yeah. going on in medicine today. And then what I would consider a public health crisis in this country, I got involved with extremists and uh, on the funding side and we were mm-hmm. lucky and that, you know, we were the first short documentary that Netflix ever bought and then wow. pre- premiered at Tribeca Film Festival back mm. in 2016 and then won Tribeca and then were nominated for an Oscar and two Emmys. And uh, wow, that was an, an amazing project to be a part of. And really just kudos to Dan and Jessica for, for coming up with such an amazing story and for, for, for people's willingness actually to engage in uh, a difficult topic. And, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was the that's the extremist story and since then mm-hmm. obviously have been involved in another film called Endgame also yeah. by Netflix recently. Yeah, I actually recently watched both of them and I couldn't help but think uh, the entire time about the person behind the camera filming and just like you were saying like getting a look at the families in a very, very vulnerable kind of time. Like did you get a more first-hand experience in the um, production of Endgame? Then you said in Extremis you kind of came in at later moments of the filming. You know, I was I was involved earlier on in the planning process for Endgame in terms of okay. the storylines that were followed. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was there at Ben Hospice Project when they did some of the filming, but um, I'm I, I was I wasn't actually uh, there. I mean, the the, the film team, uh, the directors and the producers, right, obviously right, right. The, the patients and families were. Uh, we're in those, those small hospital rooms, um, and the clinic rooms being, uh, being followed by the, the team. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, yeah, it was many years actually on and off of, of filming and, and trying to capture the right story, wow. yeah. um, by, by those filmmakers, Jeffrey and Rob. And it makes me wonder, um, were there, were there any conversations or like reservations about going into these very personal settings and, um, speaking to these families and filming their vulnerable moments or can you, can you shed any light on like conversations you had about that? 
Yeah, you know, my, my understanding, because I, you know, I, it was it was really a discussion that happened at the administrative level of those institutions, you know, asking, really getting permission to come in and, and, and building trust. Right, I think right. um, it can be really tricky to have a film crew come into a place that's very, very private um, and and feel safe that that that, that team is going to is going to tell the right story and the fair story. Um, and right. so that was something that one of the uh, palliative care physicians and, and his team, Steve Panelat and his team over at UCSF, really were champions of of making this a reality um, and spoke to the UCSF administration and said, hey, this is, you know, really a worthwhile endeavor here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a long time, I mean, years uh, getting buy-in, you know, from wow. the right people. Yeah, and then sure. in terms of, you know, the, the family discussion, I think that's, always challenging to to feel like you know you're being respectful of, of people's privacy their space these very intimate moments in time and right. um you know i myself would no way in the world would i allow uh, a <laughs> film team to film me and my family so it's just incredible that you know families like mitra's who are in the film um yeah were, were open so to open. it i mean it's mm-hmm. just it's just just an amazing gift that they've given the world yeah true I agree. And uh, when was the so when was the first year you uh, founded this the Endwell Symposium Conference? Ah, so Endwell, yes. So that was really last year was the first year. So it was something that we okay. had been thinking okay. about for for a few years. And you know, as I mentioned, when I when I finished training, I thought, gosh, you know, I'm I'm I how can I make a difference? You know, in in this field, mm-hmm. can I make a difference in this field? Um, so I spent a lot of time going to conferences and convenings all over the country here okay, around okay. palliative care, around hospice, around policy. And, you know, I found myself meeting the most incredible people who'd been doing work in the space for years and years and years. I mean, 20, 30, 40 years even, really wow, pioneers yeah. of this movement and was so inspired and, and blown away by the work that they'd done. And then you know, I realized, though, that it was always the same people that I was seeing, whether I was in Washington, D.C., or if I was in Los right. Angeles or Denver, you know, and... A small cohort. Exactly. Yeah. I thought, well, if we really want to make change, mm-hmm. let's let's turn to this. Let's, let's think about this as, as I said earlier, a social movement that yeah. that really is about getting outside of our traditional spheres of influence, getting, you know, breaking down some of our siloed thinking uh, around how to make change. And so I was inspired by organizations like IDEO, the design uh, group that's based in, in San Francisco, but all over yeah. the world, um, in thinking, you know, how can we how can we come together as an interdisciplinary group of people? So people from design, of tech, of healthcare, of policy, exactly. of education, of the arts, media, you know, patient advocacy, law, caregiving. Yeah community activism to, to talk about how we can transform the end of life, mm-hmm. something that we're all going to face into yeah. a more human-centered experience. And I think that that resonates with a lot of people, whether you've you've experienced illness yourself or, or lost right, your right. family. Um, Just being a human, you're already a stakeholder in the conversation. That's right. I yeah. couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. And so we, as an experiment, you know, mm-hmm. launched End Well Symposium as uh, TED style convening, meaning very short presentations oh, okay. um, by by speakers who don't necessarily come from the world of healthcare or palliative yeah. care, um, to talk about uh, what 
what, what it means to live well until the very end from their perspectives and their own personal stories. And we were blown away by the response last year. We sold out three months in advance, lots of media attention. Um, it's been, you know, an amazing, uh, amazing thing to get to be a part of. And now Endwell is its own 501c3 nonprofit. We're functioning wow. as not only uh, an annual convener of the Endwell Symposium, but we're also a media platform. So we created all this amazing content related to human-centered uh, design and the end-of-life experience, mm-hmm. and we're we're sharing it out via Facebook, via Twitter, via Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. I mean, you name it, we're we're using it. So we want to engage people beyond the walls of the symposium in this, you know, vitally important conversation about about living well. Yeah, um, exactly. Until the very end. So. That's the story of Endwell. It's happening again this wow. year, December 6th in San Francisco. And we're... And how can people learn more about the conference and register? Yeah, so visit us on the website, endwellproject.org. We're okay. also on Facebook at Endwell Project. We're on Twitter at EndwellSF, as well as Instagram, EndwellSF. So we're, we're kind of all over the place. Um, and, and, and we love hearing from people and if you can't make it to the symposium, like connect with us on on uh, social media. And there are so many other ways to be involved beyond just you know coming to San Francisco on December sixth. Yeah. And is there so for this year's conference? Is there anything uh, special? Any panel or speakers that you're especially looking forward to? Ooh, gosh, they are all <laughs> so amazing. You know, yeah. we just announced um, Justin Baldoni, who is oh, an okay. actor and director. Yeah. James um, Virgin. Oh, you know him, yes. Yeah, yeah. He's he's incredible. So he'll be one of our keynotes. We also have mm-hmm. Alicia Garza, who is director for strategy of the Domestic Workers Alliance. Oh, wow. She's the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Okay. Um, there's Maya Shankar, who is a um, behavioral scientist. So she's the founder of the White House Social and Behavioral Sciences team under Obama and now runs Behavioral Insights at Google. Oh, um, wow. We have Dr. Kaifu Lee, who's a venture capitalist based in China, but he's interesting in that he's actually one of the oh, and okay. he's the founding president of Google China, named one of Times 100 most influential people in the world. So he's um, wow. going to be incredible. A lot of yeah, um, big names yeah. talking about an important topic. Yeah, exactly. The advertising you're doing on these social media platforms—it seems like the way to get the most amount of people uh, excited about a topic like this because yeah, I feel like that's how it's going to make change rather than going to, like you said, when you were going to these conferences and seeing the same few people that only gets you so far, you know, you got to make it to these influencers. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is a conversation we hope that people are having, you know, around there, around, you know, around the coffee machine at work. I mean, this is, this should be really commonplace and not something that's that's hidden away or yeah exactly yeah well it's very exciting to hear all the updates and everything you're involved with um thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today thank you so much for having me yeah of course huge thanks to dr shoshana ungerleiter for agreeing to be involved in this podcast and to our listeners we hope we got you thinking a little bit more about bettering the way we handle end-of-life care in the u.s questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative.
Intro music brought to you by the band Tries Me Rescue. <laughs>